Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get all the latest football headlines and bite-sized opinion in the brand new Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Join Mark Smith, Martin Gritton and a conveyor belt of guests as they dissect all the biggest stories in one small, perfectly formed package. Take five to ten minutes out of your day to stay up to date with everything that matters in football. Whether it's a big result from the night before, a new excuse from Jurgen Klopp, a shocker of a VAR decision or a new chapter in the ongoing Man United soap opera, we will cover it. All the latest news every weekday lunchtime on the Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Look for the Whistleblowers wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair. And at the weekend, there were some outstanding events. Unbelievable, almost. Manchester City dropped points, first of all. Erling Haaland scored only one goal. And there were no controversial VAR decisions in the Villa City game. And equally, on the Man City Show podcast this week, there are some Absolutely astonishing events. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Rabinovitz is back on the show. Yeah. <laughs> applause, pause for applause. And and yeah, yeah, don't clap on your please don't clap on your own, Tony. Someone will throw your fish. Uh, but anyway, Lisa Rabinovitz is back on the show. Back in the back in the house. Lisa, great to have you back on the show. Welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. you. Good to good to see you too. Amazing. Uh, incidentally, just incidentally, Dave Hodgson and Tony Newgrosh are here as well, but almost an irrelevance compared to the wonderful, the ever-popular Lisa Rabinovitz is back in the house. So, Lisa, let's start with you, please. Let's ignore Tony and Dave for the moment. They will join in if they have anything relevant to say. Pretty unlikely, but we'll give it a go anyway. Let's start at the weekend, please. Uh, poor first half and disappointing result against the Villa. Yeah, I mean, the first half kind of set the tone, really. Um Everything was either too short, too long, or too hard. In a, in all our passing was just not up to it. And I think, you know, yes, we got our, we got ahead, we scored the first goal, but just we as as previously with with us, it just if we all, one has an off day, we all seem to be having a bit of an off day. It just wasn't quite clicking. It, funnily enough, I think it's probably what most of us expected the season to 
to start off like with our new look um, actual striker on the pitch. Um, but it was just, it was all a bit odd, really. It just didn't feel quite right. I can't, I'm not, I'm not sure how else to explain it. it That's it, all right. I, so I was, it, it... By the end of it, I was quite happy with, with a draw. Um, I know there were no controversial VAR decisions in our match, but there may have been some controversy about a whistle being blown when maybe it shouldn't have been. And, you know, I was waiting for the obligatory Coutinho screamer against us. Thankfully, it didn't count for anything this time. Sure. Uh, Tony, um, your, your spin on it. Uh, this this first half performance does does worry me because it's it's not the first time it's happened this season, is it? No, and yeah, it just we just weren't quite on it, were we? And we looked like we might get away with it at one nil, but we didn't push on. And in the end, all right, you might say, well, Villa had one shot and scored one goal, and we were a bit unlucky, but you know, we kind of got what we deserved in the end, and it was a bit of a reality check from my perspective. I just thought, as you say, there's no one I think you could say was exceptional, and actually, we looked a little bit soft at the back, to be honest. I think the goal summed it up. Gave the ball away needlessly, didn't close them down. Yeah, it was a good finish in the end, but we were kind of asking for it. And it, there wasn't even the reaction I hoped for. Yes, we had a few chances at the end, but yeah, not really good enough, to be honest. And hopefully it's the kick up the pants they need at this stage of the season. Not good enough, Dave. No, I mean, it was a strange game. It's the sort of game I've come to expect us to have kind of in April, sort of sandwiched between two Champions League ties. And it had sort of that feel to it, but in, in September, where we kind of came up the blocks very slowly. I thought, you know, we were maybe trying to save something for midweek. But by the time we sort of, you know, put the foot on the accelerator, created a good number of chances, we did leave ourselves that little bit open. Um, I get the sense that Villa, you know, probably saw their best chance of the game to come from, you know, catching us on the break, as most teams try to do. Um, and, yeah, I, I think the the decision to start with the slower tempo, probably with, with the great benefit of hindsight, was not the right one. And maybe if we'd, you know, started with the sort of pace we did in, in midweek, that would have been a a better way to get Villa where we wanted them. But, you know, we did, there will be games this season where we do start that bit slower and we, we really did seem to take a while to get out the blocks. So what's your, just sticking with you, Dave, for a moment, this kind of slower tempo, what, what, why, what, why do you think Pep started like that? Because you say against Forest, I mean, we just dominated from the first minute and scored early and, and then carried on scoring. And, and why, why, yeah, okay, we've got a European game midweek. Is that what it's all about? Just conserving a bit of energy? Is, it, it, is that your view? I think there's always a bit of that. And there's also sometimes with the away games, you know, an advantage can come from, nullifying the home atmosphere early, controlling possession, setting the tempo and almost bringing the game onto your own terms like it's a home game. And sometimes with that slower tempo, you know, if we can sort of grind out some possession early rather than, um, you know, creating the more, um, you know, taking a more aggressive approach and maybe risking um, losing the ball and losing that momentum a little bit. I, I think the, the system may have been to, to kind of grind, you know, grind Villa down a bit, keep that possession, but... It just doesn't quite seem right when so much of what we're doing at the moment does look that bit more clinical. We have got players who, generally speaking, have been on the same wavelength and been able to combine with quite some effect. I, I'm not quite sure why he did that, but I think it can only really be with a view to conserving um, fitness with what is probably the most punishing schedule a Premier League team has 
has seen in a great many years. And I know it's the same for a lot of our rivals as well, and they're going to have to deal with it too. Um, but I think we're, you know, there are going to be concessions we have to make, and I think there will be a few more games where we do start in that vein as well. And there were missed opportunities, Lisa, as well, weren't there? Of course, we we did we did miss. We'll come on to the goal in a second, uh, but the, we we missed plenty of opportunities as well. We did have a chance to increase our lead. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I said that I was happy with a draw, but to be fair, as as not great as we were, I, I still think we probably should have won it. We did have the chances to win it, um, so I think that's where the extra frustration comes in. I mean, I I do agree with Dave. I think that. I felt that in the first half, even though a lot of what we did wasn't very accurate, we did have a lot of possession. And I felt that it, it looked very much like we were hoping that Villa would just be completely exhausted by by the time the second half was 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 going. And um, it just it, it didn't work because when we did get the chances, we weren't clinical enough. And it, it's it's difficult to know why. I mean, I guess sometimes these things do just happen. I'm not, I, I don't for one minute believe we should be winning every match. We've got a divine right to win every match. It just felt that just a few little tweaks here or there would have changed the results of that, that game. So maybe I'm being overcritical. Uh, and before we move on to the goal, Tony, kind of as Lisa rightly says, we're not going to go through the season and win every single game. We are going to have games like this where maybe with a better side, certainly far more possession. But in the end, we don't win the game. You you're, want any other further reflections on my, why that might have been, particularly this weekend away at Villa? I think the first five minutes often sets the tone, doesn't it? You know, Pep had said midweek, you know, Villa are a team who are struggling, but I expect them to come out and fight for their lives. And I think he was trying to warn the players, look, you may have won 6-0 in midweek, um, but there's no room for complacency. And it's always when we just ease off that pace a little bit, we gave the Villa fans a bit of confidence and a bit of hope. And we did make life very difficult for ourselves. So we have to go from it for, from the first minute, as Lisa alluded to. We've no divine right to win every game, but we are good enough to win every game. And we, we shouldn't forget that, to be honest. That's, we have to earn that right from the kickoff. And I'm not sure we quite did that on Saturday. Let's talk about our goal. Uh, certain Belgian water cross and Haaland just happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and finished just... Uh... <laughs> something I guess we might get used to talking about on this show every week. Yeah, I thought, yeah, as you say, it's just, he's got that sixth sense, hasn't he? He knows where to be. All of his goals he scored from within the box, probably all of it, you know, all, you know, half of them probably I could have finished if I'd been stood there, but the skill is A, to be stood there and B, to have the strength to, to hold off the defenders. But yeah, no, he was, what can you say about the guy? He is going to break every record at this this rate. He had other chances, didn't quite go for him, but he's done everything we wanted from him so far this season. And I think, yeah, we've seen Phil Foden start to link up with him. I think that can only get better. So very excited to see him there. We'll talk, I'm sure, about the Forest game and how well Alvarez played as well as a backup but we just needed, you just needed that second goal, didn't we? Just to kill off the game and didn't happen. So that's what we've got to learn. Dave, you're, I think it's your first opportunity to talk about Haaland this season. Um, what have you seen and what excites you most of all? Uh, and is he a freak, which a lot of people are talking about? Oh, I think he probably is. I mean, the it's, it's a weird kind of strength. He's not that sort of, you know, giant muscle bound, you know, sort of, Hulk style figure, but you watch him hold off defenders. And I don't really understand exactly how he does it. There's these moments where defenders are almost trying to pull his shirt and get dragged along with him. 
it's you know it's almost like when a horse bolts and it just takes its rider along with him you know gr- you know clutching the reins and you know dragged behind them if if Harlan decides he's going somewhere you are not physically stopping him and I think the biggest thing for us is he's something so fundamentally different to anything we've had for so long you know most of our um you know, the, the sort of options, because we've been playing false nine, those players have been almost dropping into midfield. They've been very integrated in play, lots of touches, probably moving further and further from goal. But you look at, you know, the, the stats on on Haaland, you, you see, you know, I think after his goal at the weekend, he was on, you know, goal every 12 touches. You know, he's, this is not something that you would expect of a sort of the way that Guardiola's been been using players to have a player who isn't heavily involved in every phase of play, but does you know give us that edge and he's taking the chances that we were complaining at combinations of Sterling and Jesus last season not taking he's popping up he's doing that and you know it doesn't feel like we're massively light in midfield for that as well so really it feels like the 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 goals we're gaining from having that is not really being offset by any loss anywhere else in the pitch which I think was our big concern with, with a move like that so no I think it's it's hugely exciting he's you know, the standout striker of the league so far this season. I imagine he will stay being so. And yeah, I think it's a new dimension to our play that makes us that, you know, that bit more dangerous. At least I'm keen to hear about your view on Haaland, but I just want to go back to the amazing pass that, that again, De Bruyne just managed to find. I don't think he looked up. I think he just knew exactly where to hit it. And it was literally perfection. Got it over the keeper's head uh, and Harlan was there to, to knock it in. So a little bit about De Bruyne first and then your reflections on Erling Haaland. As much as I don't particularly love the word, I think De Bruyne is another kind of freak, really, isn't he? I mean, there, there is... I just don't know how he does it. I don't think that's something you can teach or learn. or It's just it's something he's... It's a gift... It's incredible, and it's just... I, I, I bet Haaland just can't believe it. I think it's one thing watching it and knowing that you're coming to a team with players like that, but being on the end of these passes and crosses must just be a dream for a player like Haaland. Um, and it's not just... I mean, De Bruyne is, like, exceptional, obviously. We have other players who can do similar things. Um, I, I, I just don't... I don't know what more you can say about De Bruyne. He's just incredible, and... And getting older, which is a bit worrying. So what about Haaland then? So give us your, your reflections on him then and, and what he's brought and how excited you are about seeing him in a City shirt. I mean, I, I have to admit that I was one of these people who were slightly concerned, um, Dave alluded to this, about the impact it would have on the way we play. Um, and so far, it hasn't made a massive difference, but it equally didn't make the difference we wanted it to against Villa. That kind of situation was the kind of game we may have said last season, oh, well, if we had a striker, we'd have won that match, and we didn't. Um, And also, we haven't come up against the big teams yet. So it'll be interesting to see how it impacts our play against teams like that. I'll not mention what's coming yet, because I'm sure we'll get onto that. Um, But, I mean, I've been so impressed with him otherwise. you, You can't fault the way he has so far adapted to it. And if we are saying that he's still got to properly adapt, then, you know, it can only, it can only get better, you hope. And I just think he, he seems quite humble with it all as well, which I like. Um, at the same time as having a bit of cockiness, which I think is important in, for a player like that, coming into a team like ours um, with the kind of expectation levels um, 
And it's just made me laugh listening to all the commentators at the beginning of the season, not sure how he was going to settle, being all the same people who were talking about how much we needed a striker. I mean, honestly, you can't make this stuff up. But I think scoring 10 goals, so 10 goals so far, I mean, even if he only scored another, another 10, <laughs> wouldn't be a disaster, would it? <laughs> Listen, let's uh, let's pause there. When we come back, we're going to talk briefly about the midweek game against Forest, which seems a long time ago now, where Haaland scored three of those ten goals, of course. Alvarez also, I think, impressed. I'd like to spend a bit of time talking about him when we come back. And then we'll look forward again to the couple of games we've got this week as well before the next show next week. So uh, we'll do all that straight after this break. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back. Let's talk quickly then about that Forest game. Uh, we had a Haaland hat-trick. We had two from Alvarez. Could easily have been a hat-trick from him because he struck the post as well, of course. Tony, your, your, your reflections on that on that Forest game. I so say it does seem a while ago now. We focused on the most recent game where we dropped points, but what a performance from City. I mean, total domination from start to finish. It was, it was almost perfection, wasn't it? From the first to the last minute. It was a fantastic celebration of football generally I thought the first midweek game under lights I think nothing like the smell of those burger bars as you walk to the ground as the sun's setting is there and then great game of football I'd like to also probably shouldn't but I think we should pay some credit to Forrest as well because they came and they tried to play football and didn't kick us off the park I've never seen a team cheered off by their own fans when they've lost 6-0 before. I thought that was magnificent. And it all added to the occasion. I think they, just as as we did, appreciated just the, the sheer genius of City's performance last night. That night, every player, I thought, contributed. You know, we were all in awe of Haaland's hat-trick. Alvarez, I thought, was magnificent, as we said. Everyone, I thought, had a great game. You might say Edison had absolutely nothing to do, so he'll still get a 6 out of 10 in the paper. But... No, it was just a great night. I was there with my three boys. It was just a night to be enjoyed, and I, I loved every minute. Uh, in terms, Dave, of of the performances, I mean, I, I just want to mention, we've mentioned a few, Tony's mentioned a few. Can I just mention Rodri as well, who is really sort of growing into that role, and uh, and, and also Gundogan as well. Those two in midfield, I think they stood out particularly for me. Um, they, they won't get the plaudits. They, they, they're the guys who kind of pick up that ball, mop up the mess, distribute it, and then let the flair players get on with it. But, but two fantastic players. So it gets difficult to, to, to pick maybe two out, as Tony rightly says. I think from front to back, we were fantastic. But I just want to sort of pick those two out because they probably wouldn't normally get a mention. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Rodri. I think 
the big thing with Rodri for me is people talk about a defensive midfielder as a player who's vital in the big games to make sure that you know you are able to win the ball back, keep possession, etc. But in those games against lesser sides, the importance of having someone like Rodri to basically make our possession relentless. You know, if things do break down, he's so quick to make sure that we've got the ball back before the opposition have any chance to regroup, resettle, reform their lines. And there were a few occasions in the Nottingham Forest game where possession broke down and the speed with which Rodri has sort of got the, got the play moving forward again made it so difficult for Nottingham Forest to find any form of rhythm and to, to adapt. And I think the almost Rodri's value as an attacking outlet at that point because he enables all those you know, finishers we now have and, you know, the, the players with a really incisive passing, as, as Gundogan very clearly is, um, you know, to, to really, uh, really excel. And I think one word on, on Gundogan, he's had an excellent start to the season. And I think probably of all the players we have is the one who has been able to read Haaland the best. Um, it does feel like he's really been on the same wavelength with him. I do wonder whether that's a little bit of his experience playing with Lewandowski at Dortmund, you know, playing with a big out-and-out finisher who wants that sort of supply. Um, yeah, I think Gundogan seems to be brimming with confidence from the end of last season, quite rightly. And, you know, he has really showing, he's really showing that he is not just a, you know, midfield option, but almost a alternate player to De Bruyne who can win you games with the quality of passing he provides. Having him and De Bruyne feeding players like Haaland, that is so, so difficult because, you know, you only, you know, you only need to, you know, who, who are you marking there? Who are you going to practically shut out to, to deal with that threat? Because you're always going to leave someone unmarked. I think the quality of options we have in that midfield slot is, you know, unparalleled, certainly anywhere else in the league, and I'd probably say Europe as well. Lisa, before I want to pick up on three particular players and three particular situations so far this season, before we move on to look at the Champions League game this week and then the game against Spurs at the weekend, your reflections on that Forest game seems a while ago now. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it so much. Um, it was um, fabulous to be there. And um, and and I know we briefly mentioned Alvarez, and I know you said you wanted to mention some individual players, but I was particularly impressed with him. He didn't stop running, lots of energy. He, he, I think there were a couple of instances in the first half where he seemed to kind of lose the ball once or twice but it was it was like such a perfect game for him to be learning from those mistakes if you want to call them that and just getting used to the the tempo of of the Premier League and but he he took the he took the goal so well I I just I was so impressed with him he he just never stopped running um such a great attitude I know everyone's like oh he's the new Aguero it reminds me a bit more of Tevez to be honest um and I don't know whether that's just this stature or the, the way he runs, but I actually don't really care. He just I was I was just really pleased to see him on the on the score sheet because he really deserved it for the effort he put in. Um but they were just beautiful goals. I really, really enjoyed watching him. I mean, I know everyone's gonna be talking about Haaland. I kind of like the fact that he's probably going a bit more under the radar because I, I think he's gonna be very useful. Brilliant. Let me pick on three players. And I kind of looking back on my, my notes and thinking about the shows, I, I probably do this once or twice a season. 
Uh, and the comment, you'll understand what I'm saying when you hear what I'm going to say. Uh, it's a bit early in the season for me to say it, but I just picked up on social media one or two people starting to ask this question, and that is of our goalkeeper, Edison, um, of which there is no question he's a magnificent distributor of the ball. He doesn't have much to do in many, many games. We know that. But actually, as a shot stopper, He's not good enough, some people might say. He should be stopping more than he actually does. And I suspect there might be two schools of thought. Those that say, oh, come on, do me a favour. Look at, you know, look at look at his record. Look at the clean sheets. Look at his golden gloves. Look at the Premier Leagues we've won. And others might argue, do you know what, actually, compared with some other keepers, that's a part of the game where he's not good enough. I just thought I'd throw that on the table. I can ask these questions because I can. And I'm just interested to understand your view. Tony, you kick us off on this one. Your view of Edison, where do you sit on that argument? Actually, should do better? Or shut up, Nigel, let's move on to something important like VAR. What, 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 what do you, what do you, where do you come from then, Tony? As much as I'd love to tell you to shut up. Um, listen, I'm sure, like every keeper, he makes the odd mistake and it costs us the odd goal. Whether he costs us more than any other keeper in the league, I don't know. Um, I suspect a lot of it's just boredom on his part, to be honest. He has so few shots to say, but I wouldn't swap him, to be honest. I think he he gives far, far more than he costs us. Um, I'm struggling to think this season as he costs us a goal. Should he be sure saving? Should actually. he be saving? Should he be saving more than he does? You know, he kind of watched the, the one at the, at the weekend sail past him, and uh, yeah, it was a good I, shot. He, he caught it quite well, but he didn't seem to move very much. He kind of no, you know, I mean, had, a, had a flailing arm. He did. That was my first reaction as well. But when you see it back, he's actually going the wrong way. I don't think there was anything he could have done about that, to be honest. So, no, I'd keep him. To be honest, he's good enough for me. Thank you very much. Good enough for you, Dave. Should stop a few more. Is the argument some might say. Where um, are you? I, I'm very pro him. I do not really see a natural alternative that would, would suit us any better. Um, bearing in mind our first attempt as a uh, long-time listener of the podcast may remember and how our first uh, ball-playing goalkeeper went down with me, I'm very, very happy to uh, have Edison and anything that risks potential of another Claudio Bravo is uh, something I would very much like to avoid. But uh, no, I, th I think Edison has this very unfortunate situation for him that he um, always gets compared to Alisson because they're national team colleagues, because they play for the two standout sides in the league. And the way Liverpool's defence have been, Alisson does end up facing more shots. Alisson probably is a slightly better shot stopper, but he gets to test that a lot more. I mean, the way Edison comes off his line, I think, is very useful for us. I mean, People focus on the times he gets it wrong. But, you know, I thought he was out off his line very sharply to deal with Jacob Ramsey at the, at the weekend. I think a lot of keepers wouldn't have been as assertive in coming out to deal with that. And I think the other thing we're forgetting here is his range of long passing is unbelievable. We have a striker who is A, very large, and B, very good at dealing with balls in behind. I think, you know, there's a, there's a whole sort of Edison-Harland axis that we're going to be able to exploit later this season. And when that starts, starts going, I think a lot of people are suddenly going to be... a uh, be thinking Edison's the best thing since sliced bread again. So, no, very, very positive. OK, we've got two for Mr Edison here, Lisa. It'll be interesting to see where you stand here. Are you one of those people who said, you know what, Nigel, actually, yeah, I think I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. I think he's not the best and he should be stopping more. Or are you with the two lads? No, I'm, I'm with them. I think it's ridiculous to start talking about Edison like that because there isn't an alternative. Um, you're asking for someone... I mean, you, I would not give up what he gives to the team for a slightly better shot stopper because ultimately, for most of the matches we play, 
our goalkeeper is not going to have to do very much. And I think, you know, as much as Dave hated Bravo, and I knew this was going to come into the conversation, I often said that I felt that Bravo got a lot of unfair criticism about the kind of um, shots to goal ratio, because you have to remember that he was barely ever getting any shots against him. And so if a player was going to take a chance, it was going to look a lot worse than it would for any other goalkeeper that had to save millions of opportunities against them. And I think it's taken a while, but now people are starting to say this about Edison. And I think it's a bit, it's a bit short-sighted because what he brings far outweighs any of the mistakes that may happen. And, and, and then it becomes more on the rest of the team to take the chances that we create. Ultimately, if we're going to have 80% possession... And yes, occasionally we're going to concede a goal, then I'm afraid it's on the attacking players to put more of those chances away. And sometimes it will be 4-2 or 4-1 instead of 4-0. And, you know, as much as we'd like him to have the golden glove at the end of the year, I really don't care if we've won the matches. And yeah, I think it's a, it's like, I sometimes feel like City fans or football fans in general, they just have to find someone to be really annoyed with. And Sterling and Jesus have gone, so now it has to be Edison. And I, I just think, leave him alone. And some of the absolute ridiculous nonsense that people have to put up with on, on social media is, is the thing that worries me about situations like that, because at the end of the day, people are humans. But overall, I think most people know that Edison is far more of an asset than anything else to city, and it's just... Okay, so if you don't want to talk about Edison, let's talk about someone who maybe hasn't had the best season so far. And it was a question that was raised on Twitter earlier on when we went out there and asked for comments. And it's the question is very simply, would Sinchenko be better suited to play in that inverted role that Walker's being asked to play in? And does that prove that it was kind of folly to have got rid of him? Because actually, in terms of Sinchenko, Gabriel Jesus and Sterling, he's probably the one of the three that probably we want to have kept. Lisa, do you want to ask, I think the, the question was posed to you in the first place anyway. How, how do you feel about that when you saw that question coming through? And, and Walker's had quite a lot of criticism. You know, is, is, it, is it fair? Is it, is it right? I mean, of course, Sinchenko is a midfielder, of course. So I guess that's maybe why my immediate response when I saw that was, you're talking about a, a proper fullback against a proper midfielder. And that's maybe why you see it that way. Do you have a view? Yeah, I mean, in that respect, I suppose it isn't fair, but I guess this is a job he's being asked to do. Um, but you have to assume that Pep knew that this was what his plan was with the, with the new lineup and knew, therefore, that he, if he let Zinchenko go, then he would have Walker and Cancelo in those positions. I, I don't know. I mean, he was singing Walker's praises in the... I can't remember which match it was now. I've only had five and I can't remember. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. It, if it's not working, then he doesn't have many options. And that's the thing that does concern me. So he's either got to change the system or play a teenager there. I, I really, you know, I, I, I think it's a bit harsh on Walker because he... He was doing pretty well in his previous um, required role. So um, I, I think it is harsh on him, given what he's being asked to do. Tony, harsh on Walker, or do you think uh, do you see, do you see something else with him playing in this inverted role? He's always had the odd blip, hasn't he? And he's always come back, but we shouldn't forget his pace is vital to the team and saved us on many occasions. I don't think it's quite fair to say we got rid of Zinchenko. I think he'd done his time. He wanted first-team football, and he was given a very good offer, and he goes with our blessings, to be honest. So 
Yeah, no, I don't think we move on from that one. Good clubs have always lost players in those circumstances before. Um, he is injured now, so we may well have to find other solutions. So we'll see. But now, as, as Lisa said before, they're only human. We have to accept they're going to have the odd mistake. But I still think he is very much an asset to the team that's still just, I think, slightly feeling its way into the season. Uh, and some tremendous results, I think, have perhaps masked the fact that, you know, inevitably we do start a little bit slowly and we are having to get used to a slightly different system. So, no, he'll he'll be all right in my book. Quick comment, Dave, on Walker, and then I want to come back to a player who I think you raised with me earlier in this week, actually. Walker's vital. He's, last season, our most important defensive player. He He's always been probably our weakest technical player. It's a little bit weird that we're requiring him to play sort of in that, you know, in a role which is requiring him to be that little bit more uh, more technical with, you know, be- bigger range of passing. He's definitely not the guy you want to be picking out with picking up centre forwards. Um, but, you know, when, when it comes to the big games, he's going to be absolutely vital. I don't see why anyone would, would complain about Kyle Walker. You know, you look what happened when he went off against Real Madrid and the whole thing unraveled. He's, you know, he's, he's vital to us. And when it comes to the big games, we'll see that. We're going to, before I do that, Dave, the question that you raised with me earlier in the week, which is this situation where Foden seems to be struggling a little bit in terms of the same position that Grealish was asked to play in. And I think you raised the question yourself, whether this was, is this kind of the role or or is it the player? How how do you answer your own question, Dave? Well, I suppose that the the issue, I mean, it was kind of surprising to me because I thought Foden was going to have Ashley Young on toast on, on Saturday. I thought it was going to be an absolute bloodbath. He'd get past him every time. And actually, you know, fair play to Ashley Young. He did do a very, very good job keeping Walker quiet. And I suppose, uh, keeping Foden quiet, sorry. And it did um, sort of make me wonder, you know, after what Pep had been saying about Grealish in the week, that he's a player who we miss when we need to slow the tempo down. And uh, it's kind of an unusual thing for a winger, right? You usually think of the winger as your accelerator, you know, the guy who gets gets to the byline, gets the crossing, gets everything moving. But in this role where, you know, maybe we'd be expecting Foden to be beating a man, whipping in crosses, doing all the things we expect of a winger. Actually, he's being required to be a little bit more sort of patient and calm in possession. And we're not quite seeing the best of him. Um, you know, personally, I think Walker's maybe, uh, Foden's getting a, a lot more flack for that than he, he maybe deserves. It's a function of the role, but it does slightly worry me maybe that, you know, with players like Foden and Grealish, who could be one of our game changers and most exciting players, that they may be having the edge taken off them by by the role they're being asked to play. Okay, I'm, I'm going to come straight on to VAR. Um, I think listeners to this podcast will know my view, and I will just keep my powder dry and just remind everybody what I said to everybody. And I was a single lone voice on this podcast. You all disagreed with me at the time, but I will just remind you of that. But I'll let you have your say first. Obviously, City didn't have too many controversial decisions this week, but it seems to have raised its head. It's only right. This is a football podcast. We probably owe it to our listeners to have a quick chat about our view of the VAR, where it's going, what changes we need to see, should it go completely, has it improved the game? So just briefly, uh, Lisa, you're, you you can go first on this, uh, star of the show this week. So uh, your view on VAR, Lisa, what, what what's changed, what's, what's happening, what needs to happen going forward? I don't know. It's um, excellent, Dave. Your, uh, your well, view on it's it. More, it's more. <laughs> it's, it's talked about more than 
than we ever spoke about refereeing decisions, which I know is what you were concerned, one of your concerns. Um, and I I think part of the part of the problem is it's it all seems a bit um subjective. Like what what is a clear and obvious error? To me, that should be fairly clear and obvious. But also things like offside. The thing that annoys me about it is I know offside is supposedly either one yes you're offside or you're not but the way they're doing it it's impossible to pinpoint the moment that the ball leaves the player's foot all the rest of it that we've already established that but I would have thought that nobody no football fan I would hope wanted offside decisions to be decided in this way like they're looking for a toenail being offside what we wanted were situations where someone was very clearly offside and that had been missed, that that would be rectified. And the problem is, at which point do you define very clearly? And that's why this was never going to make everybody or even anybody happy. Because it, you, there'll always be someone going, well, I think that's clearly and you think that's clearly. But I don't think a toenail counts. So that's the first thing. I know that the clear and obvious error thing doesn't apply to offside decisions because that's supposedly binary. But for other things, I think someone really needs to explain to, to me or and, and to everybody else, what does a clear and obvious error mean? When is it supposed to be used for when a referee has made a clear and obvious error? I mean, it's just going around in circles here. There are some things that should be very clearly defined. And then the rest of it is, I'm afraid, down to human error or human interpretation and funnily enough that's what happens with a referee on pitch brilliant thank you that's good tony yeah look football we love the injustice we like the subjectivity if you take the example in the west ham chelsea game when bowen collided uh, with mendy was that a foul? Look, you're a referee, Nigel. You may have a view on it. He caught him. Yes, he did. Did he play the ball? No. Does that mean it's a foul? Possibly. I don't know. So all you're doing is replacing the referee's subjective decision with VAR's subjective decision. You're still left with a subjective decision that you may have one view on. I may have another view on. The one thing that drives me nuts with VAR is the way they slow it down a million times. They make tackles look far worse than they are. As Lisa said, quite rightly, Clear and obvious. Look at it once. Was the decision a complete howler or not on a first view? If not, we move on whether it's right or wrong and we live with it because we'll still be talking about it tomorrow morning. But it's very frustrating the way great goals such as Martinelli's just outside Manchester yesterday get chalked off. That's not what we want to see. Was it a foul in the build-up? Possibly. But that's not what VAR is meant to be there for. So... They just need to row it right back. It does have a purpose, I would say, Nigel, when it's used correctly. But this is this is this is just the traffic wardens of the poli- of the uh, refereeing decisions just getting involved in in things we don't want them to get involved in. I mean, the one thing I would say to Lisa's point on offsides is they are meant to have made the lines thicker this year, and if they overlap. We shouldn't be getting toenails offside. But, you know, again, I agree. With you. Look, we've all been there. I mean, go back to the Spurs Champions League game where we all celebrated for five minutes. One of the Spurs players actually on the bench actually went to the changing room and thought they'd lost. I don't even recall that at the time. And only found out after the game that his team had actually gone through. 
That's not what we want, is it? You know, do it like the American football does it, you know, where they throw a flag. So at least we know that a decision is being reviewed. But it could be made to work a lot better, in my opinion. So we're not going to get rid of it, Nigel. Sorry, it has a place. But let's use it for what it was originally intended. David, help us out here. I'm going to upset you here, Nigel. I think the, the, the thing for me with this is we've got probably the poorest quality slate of Premier League referees that I can remember. I think the quality now that we've had compared to previous years is so much worse. And I think the, prob- the thing that essentially VAR needs to do is it needs to have multiple people looking at different angles on different plays, 10 seconds from when a decision is made to overrule the referee. If they can overrule the referee, you know, great, the referee has no right to appeal, that's the, the decision done. It's done in 10 seconds, so it's decided nice and quickly for the fans. And, you know, let's face it, this is this is the Premier League. You've got so much resources that you can pile up this thing, have multiple people looking at different cameras, you know, and you should be able to get those decisions. But anyway, on, on the topic of offsides, I think you just need to have wider bounds of discretion and say, you know, players can be level. There can be such a thing as this guy was, you know, 0.1 millimetre ahead of him, he's level. You know, you could have bands to say that that decision just becomes so much easier. Then it becomes almost like goal line tech, right? But the, you know, the the practical thing is, I think the quality of referees at the moment they're left far too exposed to their to their own sort of mistakes if they don't if they're not given misprotection. And you know, you see fans have turned on VAR. They're saying now that you know the the system's corrupt. I don't think it's corrupt. I don't think you should you know attribute malice where incompetence explains it nicely. But you know, I think the the system that VAR has at the moment just doesn't doesn't work for anyone and it needs reconfiguring but it's it's got to exist let let me remind you what i said and lisa touched on it already i predicted that we will move as soon as var comes in we will move from criticizing referees and their decisions for making mistakes into criticizing var for making mistakes and it's precisely what has happened for all the reasons you have given i won't repeat what you've all said about clear and obvious but as tony indicated it's all about opinion and once you've got that subjective opinion and that's what the law states if in the opinion of the referee and how many times do we go to match of the day or some sort of highlights program and two of the pundits are sitting there in one pundit's opinion it was a foul in somebody else's opinion it wasn't that's what the game's all about if phil foden goes through on goal and should square it to harland and he would score but shoots and misses that's a mistake yeah it happens that's what happens And he's on 190 grand a week to make that mistake, incidentally, as well. Forgive me if I got that wrong, slightly wrong. But that's what happens in football. But referees sometimes make mistakes as well. It's always been part of the game. We don't need VAR. Goal line technology, sure, absolutely. It's immediate. It's absolutely factual. Was the ball, was the whole of the ball over the whole of the line? Yes or no? Goes to the referee's watch instantly. Fantastic. We should do more of that. What about the other, what about all the way around the pitch? We could introduce that for ball in and out of play all over the pitch. Lots of things we could do use the technology. But it's a fast flowing game that's being ruined by a system that is not fit for purpose because it's impossible because it's about opinions. Let the referees on the pitch make those opinions. And I pick you up, David, on terms of quality of referees. I disagree with you. I think they're the fittest, best referees we've ever, ever had in this country. And our assistant referees are unbelievable. The speed in which those moves are and how often they get it right 
I think we miss too much. I think they should get huge credit. We've got 137 cameras at every single ground showing every so they see it once in real time referees. They get one chance. Let's let's just let them get on with it and get on with the game. That's what it's there for. And then we can talk about the referees' mistakes, if you like, rather than focusing on VAR mistakes. It's ridiculous. It should never have been introduced and it should go now. Manchester City play Seville tomorrow night in the Champions League. We're going to talk about that now. And my good friend, Dave Hodgson, who I've just told off for, for having a go at the quality of our referees, he's really he's one of my favourite guests on this show. Not as, not as favourite as Lisa Rabinovitz, of course. David, your thoughts ahead of the Champions League this week? It's an interesting one. Um, Seville have definitely not had the best start to the season. They are yet to win in the league. Um, they've lost their two... You know, their two best centre-backs, one's gone to Barcelona, the other's gone to Aston Villa. And, yeah, they, they basically are, you know, a, a quite a different-looking side. They have done what Manchester City have failed to do in the last 10 seasons and sign Isco, which <laughs> creates a very, uh, a, a, you know, very creative, exciting player to have around. And, of course, it will be um, a, uh, you know, um, a reunion for um, definite podcast divider Jesus Navas who will be playing against us so I think it's going to be a very interesting game it's always quite an intimidating atmosphere at Seville they you know they're a very good side who've, who've started poorly it's going to be a difficult one but it, it is one you feel we probably should be you know should be able to edge Tony welcome back Jesus Navas scored a goal against Spurs in 13 seconds I think it was I think it was less than that, actually, wasn't it? But yes, I remember Something like that. him. Well, yes. No, listen, looking forward, it'll be a good European night. As Dave said, they've started pretty damn poorly, actually, severe, haven't they? So it's there to be won. I think we'll see a few changes from Pep. Mares will, I'm sure, come in. He's the Champions League favourite. Uh, Kanji, I think, may well make his debut. Got the T-shirt, got the board game. Looking forward to that. So... Um, <laughs> It'll be a good game of football, I'm sure. Harlan rested, Lisa, do you think? No. Have him on the bench, or do you think he'll start him? I would start him. He's not going to the World Cup for a start, so I'd just take, I would I would keep him going for as long as he can go. I think this is, I mean, we're going to be without Stones and Walker, aren't we? So um, it probably will. I My guess will be Akanji will, will play, but... Um, so that's going to be interesting because they're going to be getting used to each other. Um, so I think it's all about us attacking well and taking our chances. And finally, our thoughts, Lisa, as, as you're there, you, you're one of your favourite sides, of course. I know how much you love playing Tottenham Hotspur. Um, we've got them at the weekend. Your thoughts ahead of that game? I'm not convinced that Pep wants to or has an idea of how to deal with the fact that they will just sit there and wait and run at us and score three goals. And Son has done nothing all season, so you know what's coming. And it just seems to have a field day against us every time we play. I would love for it to be different, but what I saw against Villa does concern me slightly because I think Spurs are significantly better than Villa and will um, will take advantage of, of the kind of situations Villa found themselves in Um and will probably find themselves in that situation more frequently. Um, I always hate playing Spurs, but it's a, it's a big game. Spurs, we're the only two unbeaten sides in the league, I think, now. Um, and Spurs will be up there this season. And I think it's really important, as much as I would like to win it, I think that 
given we may be a bit light in defence, I would like to come away not losing that match. I think that's pretty important, even at this stage of the season. Um, yeah, I hate it. And I'm deliberately going to keep Son in my fantasy football team because every time I take a player out, they score a hat-trick. So I'm hoping that that kind of works. Good luck with that. Tony, Spurs, Lisa never likes playing against Spurs. Uh, how do you feel? I've, I've missed Lisa's positivity, I have to say, on the show. So welcome back, Mrs. Rothbard. I mean, Mrs. Rabinovitz. Um, <laughs> you know what? We've not got the worst home record against Spurs. We all know what happened last season. Um, it'll be a good game and a good tight game. And I think uh, the frustration for me is... Um, you know, if we'd won last week against Filler, I think it really would have taken the pressure off, would have been top. Now it is, it almost feels like a must-win game. Um, but I think we'll really find out what we're made of on Saturday. If we lose, yeah, of course I'll be upset, but it won't be the end of the world. Um, but bring it on. You know, I think to be fair to Spurs, they've started pretty well. I can't see they'll try and defend for 90 minutes. But look, we're good enough to win that, so... Harlan might just have to get three again, but we'll win. We'll win, Lisa, I promise you. And finally, uh, the great friend of all referees across the world, Dave Hodgson. It's 100% the game I'd want Kyle Walker to be 100% fit. I think the way they use their wingers, it's a concern for me that he might he might not be able to play. Um, look, they're very good at what they do. They know how to use wing backs. They hit as well on the break. They probably, for the first time, got a little bit more squad depth. So I, I am worried what that's going to mean for us. But, you know, they've got a Champions League game midweek as well. They've got similar um, game management problems to deal with for us. Certainly, if you watch the games back from, from last season, they we didn't really seem to have any answer to them at any point. I imagine Pep has had a lot of time to dwell on this. I'm hopeful that this will... Um, cause problems. I do think they can look suspect defensively and having someone like Haaland disrupt them a little bit. You know, maybe that is a game for Alvarez as well to sort of um, try and get in between their often patchwork centre-backs. Um, but look, they, they seem to have our number. I'm, I'm definitely not confident and let's just hope that we can we can take the game to them and not leave things too, uh, too open at the back as we've done in previous games. Listen, thank you to uh, two reasonably poor guests in Dave Hodgson and Tony Newgrosh, but huge thanks to the ever-popular and welcome back to the amazing Lisa Rabinovitz. This is Nigel Rothband saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.